0: All right, my friends. Uh, I keep saying, I keep introducing everybody where I'm like, all right, my friends, Um, I just assume that everybody who listens to this podcast is my friend. Um, You are my friends, even if we've never met before. And one thing that I noticed from all of my friends out there uh, is that when today's guest, Claire Zai, originally came on, I got feedback uh really about, you know, the fact that I think it was a conversation that is not being had enough. We were talking about how to uh empower women to really embrace strength training and embrace strength training not as a way to try to fix who they are, right? But instead to empower themselves and uh to really see value in in their body's capability. And it was such a great conversation and the feedback was amazing uh that we obviously scheduled another one and i think today you know this is something where I, I usually it'll take two weeks we record and then it'll take two weeks for us to release stuff and uh today i'm mean, just talking to claire right before you know we started recording i was like you know this is a a message and a conversation that we're definitely going to put out a little bit early because um it's so relevant in today's world so if you guys didn't listen to our first episode together number one what are you doing with your life? Uh, You got to listen to our first episode. It's so good. Um, But to give you guys a little background on Claire, um, so Claire currently operates Bullseye Strength, which is a very good play on words. Her last name is Zai, Z-A-I. Her her business name is Bull Z-A-I. Brilliant name. Um, She's a powerlifting and general strength training business. Um, She also helps coach the women's group programming with Barbara Medicine also pretty badass. Um, And she has her master's in physiology from the University of Colorado. But you know what? Hey, if you're going to talk the talk, you might as well walk the walk, right? And so Claire's eye, um, I would say, especially now that I've been stuck in quarantine and haven't touched a barbell, you actually are most likely stronger than me. And I'm a little bit jealous uh, that A, you have access to a barbell and B, uh, you, I saw, you posted a video squatting the other day, and I was like, wow, like you're squatting like a very impressive amount of weight. And it also is not surprising uh, that you just won your division in the Arnolds. So that makes perfect sense. Claire, what well, were you squatting? You. First and first, foremost, thank you for coming. Number two, what were you, you squatting? You. I got to find the video. It was very uh,
1: impressive. So the last squat I think I posted on Instagram was uh, 165 kilos for a triple. I think, which is like three hundred and sixty some pounds. Three sixty-three. Um,
0: just did the math. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um,
1: yes, yeah, so that was my my last triple on squats. I haven't hit a single in well since the Arnold. So I have singles actually tomorrow. I'm very excited to see how squats go.
0: I'm very excited to see it as well, and uh, and to you know, I think like based on our conversation last time it was very interesting because uh the feedback that we got when we were talking about a lot of this stuff and uh i think we had a really good conversation in the beginning too about like representation for uh for women in sport right women of all body types and uh of sizes in you know different types of athletes right you know there are the distance runners versus the power lifters versus the bodybuilders all this stuff excuse me like that was really interesting because uh, the response from people were like, oh my God, like, why? we need to have this conversation more. And little did, did you and I know that the world is very different now um, with everything that's happening, you know, with the the Black Lives Matter movement getting a ton of visibility and the really meaningful conversations happening in the world. Um, and I think it's it's a really good opportunity for us to, to really have those i mean in some ways it's like harder conversations about um, understanding just like the fact that for me as a, as a guy right uh, there are certain ways that fitness and sport um, are communicated to to women and to you know all of these different you know every every different type of person gets a different message about fitness and all this stuff and um and I think those are those are important conversations to have that aren't being had um and never really were had, right? So so talk yeah. me through like you know, what what got you into this? Like where you started to learn like, man, there's some serious barriers to sport into uh to all the things that are going on, like, you know, in getting yeah. people to actually move.
1: Yeah. So Everyone has, like you said, has a different uh, view of the world or a different experience that they are operating from. And for women in sport, I think a lot of that can be um, really like discouraging in not wanting to participate in sport or not feeling like you have a place in sport. And we talked about that a lot on the last podcast. Um, but I got interested in it because I wasn't always uh supported in my path to being in athletics in like certain ways so like I was pushed to do athletics that were like more female dominated or um not as masculine and that kind of got me and that's like where a lot of my I guess content comes from now is that like I've had these experiences and I've been told that I don't belong in powerlifting or I don't belong in this scenario and Um, started digging into that in the research and there's a lot of evidence to show that that my perception of that is actually well-founded in society and that there are a lot of people who actually think those things whether it's inherent and like explicit or if it's implicit so and just I want to point it out to a lot of people to show them where their bias is and they have these biases that are yeah. affecting other people.
0: And and like, so for you, like this conversation was something that happened uh, essentially where you were saying, I want to take up strength sports more or less, mm-hmm. right? Like I want to, yep. I want to, you know, get strong. I want to uh, embrace, you know, I'm clearly good at deadlifting and squatting and stuff like that. And the feedback was, oh, well, like, why don't you do dance or, you know, something that's a little bit more quote unquote feminine, which maybe isn't actually true, right?
1: Yeah. So I was a diver for many years, which is definitely a more feminine sport. It's definitely more um, image focused and like you have to have long lines and you have to be like your swimsuit has to cut so high above your hips so that your legs look longer and stuff like that. Um, but I, did, so I started powerlifting about two years ago and I actually, so I'm going to preface this. I love my parents. They're the most amazing people and they have grown a lot. Um, but I actually didn't tell them about my first powerlifting meet because I was afraid that they were going to tell me I couldn't go. I was in college. I, they weren't technically able to stop me, but I didn't tell them. And I ended up breaking like four state records and like was obviously good enough to like want to keep doing it. And I caught the bug. Um, But the by or like the message that I was getting from people was like, this isn't the appropriate thing that women do. Like this is for very loud, aggressive men. You should be doing something that is more fit to your gender. Or what we assume your gender should look like.
0: Yeah. And I, (laughs) and I think it's like so funny to think of that because to me, like, you know, I think people think of powerlifters as like, and I I actually like Westside barbell. I think Westside barbell is like, I would train there. I would pay an exorbitant fee to train there and they wouldn't let me because I'm not strong enough, which sucks. Um, but, but like, I think like when people think of powerlifting, they think of like um, Chuck V and he's like, you know, all crazy and his eyes are bloodshot. And he's like, you know, who is the one that always would wear like they would obviously wear Chuck Taylor's, but then they would wear like the beanie with the flames on it. I feel like every multiply power lifter from like 1990 to 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think people think of that where it's like heavy metal rampant steroid use and screaming and anger and multiply suits, Mm -hmm. which that's you. Like, I mean, I listen to scream out when I live, like whatever. Um, But I think, at the exact same time, like, it's something where you don't have to be that person. And there are plenty of people, obviously you, I mean, only two years in powerlifting, you're already extremely strong, which is very impressive. Um, I got lucky. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm like, when you said you've only been doing it for two years, my, my brain exploded for a second. Um, and so like, when you think about it, like, and when you kind of started digging into it, because like you said, like, I think it was great that you looked into it and said, like, what's actually going on here? Um, what did you find? Like, what were, what were some of the things that you found out about?
1: Yeah, so the big three things that really caught my attention and made me realize that I was not, I don't know, crazy were, so the first one's microaggressions. So microaggressions are subtle verbal or nonverbal or environmental signals that are not directly intended to cause offense or harm but result in alienating or demeaning messages. So for women in sports, actually, sorry, before I go there, microaggressions were originally, uh, that term was coined to talk about racism. And so I am in no place to talk about racism. Um, And somebody who has felt microaggressions from racism should be uh, be talking on that topic. So I'm not going to go into that, but... I want to point out that that's where it starts Um, but I can talk about microaggressions against women and those in sport are often uh, sexual objectification and the assumption of inferiority. So for sexual objectification um, I think a really good way to look at this is actually through the women's U.S. national team for soccer. So they are um, the target of a lot of microaggressions. So People assume that they're inferior to the men's team, even though they are by far a better team. They've won four more national or international titles, like just a better team. And people are like, it's more fun to watch men. I'm like, is it? Is it really more fun? And so there's an ins- assumption that like men's sports is more interesting. And then um, sexual objectification is when a woman is somehow in- inadvertently told that it is her image in powerlifting or in sport that is more important than in than her performance and so if you like there was a track star a couple years ago she was a pole vaulter um and unfortunately i don't remember her name but she was an incredible pole vaulter she was like in the olympics and people were making comments about this picture that she had on the internet of her like getting ready for an event and were commenting on how cute she was and on how pretty she was. And it's those kinds of messages that are pervasive in our society that say like, oh, a woman should be pretty before she is like good at sports. And um, you need to focus on that before you focus on your, your sport. And um, so it's this obvious point that we're like, Trying to focus on these things, and so for coaches, I want them to think about like how they talk to their female clients, or like how powerlifters talk to their fellow powerlifters. And so, like when someone says, "Oh, you're really strong for a girl," no, no, I'm just I'm just strong. <laughs> it's not um, you're assuming that because I'm a girl, I have a different standard. No, I'm just there's just like strong. There's not strong for a girl and strong for a guy. You're just strong. Um, and so that's like an example of the assumption of inferiority that you have to place this like extra label on there that is saying, oh, this is less interesting or differently interesting because it's women's sports. So another example would be like I was at um, a birthday party the other day and there was a bunch of powerlifters around because I only have friends for power lifters, power <laughs> lifters for friends. Um, and We were talking about men's and women's powerlifting and how women's powerlifting is just taking off right now. There's a lot more women involved in the past. I think when I wrote my last article on the barriers to sport in the last 10 years, powerlifting's female participation has increased from like one woman for every four men to uh, one woman for every two men. So like we've doubled our uh, activity in sport or activity in powerlifting, but people are still like, oh, the men's is more interesting because they're lifting more weight. I'm like, actually, if you watch the women, the women are competing at this, like, they're breaking records a lot more quickly because there's just, like, more women being introduced to the sport. And so, like, the the rate of growth is much higher. And I think it's more interesting because there's more competition. There's, like, these bigger changes in, like, who's at the top. So it's really yeah. cool, but people are like, mm, the men lift more weight. Like, You're missing the nuances of the sport here. I mean,
0: honestly, I think a, another good example is like, I'm a huge, like I grew up doing martial arts. Like for me, like I watched the UFC and like mixed martial arts and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a bunch of different um, uh, organizations. And like, I think women's mixed martial arts is very similar to, to powerlifting in that uh, now it's becoming something where, you were at first like they. It was it was hard to get, you know. Uh, uh, uh. I don't think the UFC even had like female fighters for a while, and then they started getting them. And now, and then there was like the Ronda Rousey era, right? And mm-hmm. but it was it was just like the early days of the UFC where it was very much so. She was a specialist. um Clearly, she doesn't have very good stand-up But then all of a sudden now you have these female champions and you have like this women's division that is like, I mean, I would, I would put like the two female champions. I would probably say that they could potentially be like, maybe even the champion of the Ben's division. Granted, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's some differences. I would say like some of those guys are just a little bit more experienced, like literally they're more experienced than, uh, a little bit more well-rounded than, than some, but you know, it, it, but it's, it's skill for skill. I would say they could definitely, they could fuck shit up, um, which is pretty sick. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's important, you know, like <laughs> the fights are exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's important to recognize that women's sports are just as important as men's sports. Yeah. Um, and just because like women's sports, maybe so like the biggest complaint I've heard is like women's soccer moves slower. I'm like, okay, fine. But their technique and moving the ball has to be a lot better. It's just different. It's not like better or worse. The sport is just like inherently going to be slightly different because we have to adapt to things a little bit differently. doesn't make it better or worse or anything like that. Um, I think the other microaggression I've heard a lot is, um, oh, are you going to, you look really strong. Are you going to, how often do you fight people or beat people up? And I'm like, never just because I'm strong doesn't mean that I like inherently want to knock men down. That's not the goal. Like, so just this yeah. assumption that just because you are a strong woman, that you're also a mean woman. An interesting. And I think inclusion to draw. Yeah. And, and to me, I think like, that's where
0: uh for me, I mean, honestly, and like this is just me, even like just being very honest. Is like I remember when I was younger, like I didn't really grow up in a place where we were talking about the patriarchy, right? Like, you know, I didn't yeah. know what that was. I actually had to Google that word. Um, I I'm also really barely happy gradu- you Googled that. So. Yeah, I also barely graduated graduated from high school and didn't spend very much time actually going to school. So, you know, who knows? Uh, it might have come up, but I I wasn't there. Um, and like so I probably had to Google it, right? <laughs> and so, uh, and the cool thing was, you know, uh, I remember when I first heard it, it was like, I thought that it was like, they just like, hate guys, like, they hate me. I'm like, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden, like you realize this like ingrained in sports in, uh, in so many areas that you're actually going like, yeah, like, fuck those guys. Like I'm on your team now, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like, if you watch an American football game, you're never going to hear them talk about Von Miller's really tight glutes. They just don't talk about that. But that's, like, something that comes up in women's sports. And I'm like, why are we focusing on what their bodies look like instead mm-hmm. of focusing on what they're doing? They're doing really impressive things, and I bet you if you put that announcer out there, they're not going to be able to do that. So I don't know. It's just I wanted to bring up the idea that ask women about like these things that happen to them. And if women aren't coming to you and talking to you about these things, probably means you're part of the problem. Um, And just like assuming that their sport is not as interesting or they're not as good at it. Um, And like trying to bring to the attention of coaches and athletes that women come into sport with a very different perception of like where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. And that's, of a good transition into the next like barrier to sport which is a restrictive gender role and so like women engage in the particular type of exercise um based on their relationship to cultural culture and the cultural constructs of gender and the ideal body type so like when you go to the gym there's a bunch of women we talked about this last time but there's a bunch of women who are on the treadmill or on the cardio machines because the ideal body type for American women is supposed to be like small and lean and like tall and thin. And that's how women engage in sport is they're going to engage in the sport that they feel they connect with most. And that might not be the sport that they enjoy the most. There are so many women I talk to who are like, I hate running on a treadmill and I do it because I know it's good for me. And there are definitely some great physiological benefits to cardiovascular training but or endurance training, but it's not the only thing you have to do. If you like lifting weights, go do it. Um, just because it seems more masculine. Um, there was a study that showed women are literally actually, there was a study that proved that women are more likely to be on the cardio equipment because that's where they feel comfortable, not because that's what they enjoy doing the most.
0: So, uh, interesting thing to kind of throw in there. Um, I'm going to buy you a book after this uh, <laughs> by Christy Harrison, right? So it's called That's the anti-diet, local. anti-diet. She was yeah. just on and she talks about this actually is going to be very interesting for you to to read because they talked about like the, the way that like diet culture started mm-hmm. one. They talked about um, with, uh, with, you know, with diet culture, one of the things that they were that she brought up was like if you look at when like these like body standards uh mm-hmm. for women came up like what they what she said which she was like literally if you look at like when a lot of these things were like kind of getting put out there and it was like all of a sudden you go from like victorian era to like this area and then you know like basically the expectation for the amount of clothes. you're supposed to be wearing kind of goods lower and lower and lower right you're not wearing this like hourglass shaped dress all of a sudden you're expected to have an hourglass figure right like that's been around forever uh it's just like it's oftentimes like when women were like trying to get the right to vote like that's when a lot of this stuff got thrown in there because it was actually used as a way by the patriarchy to try and control in like uh i'm trying to the best way to say it but like almost like distract from the real problems. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's very interesting. Like the epidemiology of, of this kind of culture of like these, these standards of, Oh, well you're like, you're not supposed to do this because you're a girl. A lot of it was really like the messaging was done at a time in which uh, it was, it was either very coincidental or very thoughtfully, uh, applied to um, to really like distract people and disempower um, women because they were fighting for very basic human rights, um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was just absolutely like mind blowing. And I feel like it almost pulls the same thing from sports, right? Of uh, of this idea of like, well, it's oh, it's it's well, like look at how you know, look at her glutes, right? Yeah. And so go ahead. You know, football game, you know, like, (laughs) you know, Tom Brady, look at his ass, you know, nobody's going to say
1: that. No, I mean, (laughs) the sexual objectification of men just doesn't happen and it's just inherent in society and culture and that bleeds directly into sport. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, and it creates these stereotypes of like what women should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And so I guess, the, the last portion that I wanted to talk about with this is just stereotype threat. And that's like, in sports, there's evidence that shows like when women have to fight against these stereotypes on top of performance, they're not going to do as well. So there's a study that shows that when women are told that whatever test they're about to do, men are better at, and then there's like a control group where they don't tell women that, women who aren't told that men are better actually do better than the women who are told that men are better. So the, the wording and the verbiage that you use as a coach, are, it's very important to how well your athletes are going to do. So if you tell your athletes, oh, men are just better powerlifters, I keep using powerlifting because that's where my experience is. If you tell women that men are better powerlifters, they're automatically not going to be as good as they could be. So like lift them up, push them to be better, educate women on what stereotype threat is and tell them that like having to fight against these stereotypes that where you don't fit your traditional gender roles just doesn't help them. So not only educating female athletes, but like teach coaches about their bias towards male athletes, Um, women who are coached by someone who believes that men are inherently better at the sport than women. Are going to suffer performance deficits due to feeling the need to disprove that stereotype and that's proved in the literature like we have solid evidence on these differences and so sometimes that's why i suggest that women train with women because there's not that under and women have these stereotypes too but we're probably more aware of this bias and probably can fight it better so Mm. learning to understand your own biases as a coach is really important so that you can build your athletes up better, and that's not just in like the social aspect, but like understanding your bias towards a certain kind of programming and understanding why that might not work for all athletes so
0: so two two uh, two things there like number one, uh, I'll send you do you know who Amanda Nunez is she's no. a the female uh, two weight UFC champion baddest fighter i've ever seen she is so good she is so good and like just i mean i mean unbelievable like the Mm -hmm. most dominant fighter i would say it's there's two the two female champions right now the most dominant fighters you'll ever see unbelievable amanda actually exclusively trains with men so she like spars with men only and so in her mind she knows that she is probably better than she's just as good as
1: the men, yeah, yeah. or men, I saying, yeah. yeah.
0: If not, like, I and mean, outside of the like two hundred and sixty-five pound heavyweights, like she's holding her own and probably mm-hmm. beating the majority of the guys that she trains with at a range of weight classes, right? Like, yeah, you know, she weighs one forty-five. She's probably sparring with welterweights who are one seventy, you know, and like to be able to do that. uh, I'm sure is very empowering and it very clearly shows that it's an even playing field, right? Mm -hmm. You're the best. You're the best. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah.
1: So if you're, Uh, if you look at someone like Kimberly Walford, she's the top 72 in the world, her and Jessica Butner And um, I can't remember who else in the 72s. They're like top of their class and their wilts just like crush a bunch of the men's. And I'm like, why are we focused on what these women look like or how they're training when they're literally just as good as the men and we just need to account for that body weight difference. And the, there's just like a small calculation you have. To, I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend like I understand the world's formula, but, <laughs> um, there's a calculation you have to do to just normalize some of those, like differences and, there you go. You have these women who are just dominating over these uh, male weight classes. So yeah, it's just men check your bias, women check your bias. So
0: so question though is like, how can you become aware of your bias? Because I think that's the hard part. Is that it's it's so ingrained mm-hmm. for a lot of people from day one. Like like I mean, yeah. kneeling push up. What are most people taught? Oh, it's a girl push-up. It's a girl push-up. Yeah. And I remember um, being like, wait, like I have guys that can't do a push-up. They're doing dealing push-ups. I refuse mm-hmm. to call this a girl push-up because I have girls that can do way more push-ups yeah. than the guys on their toes. So I don't care. <laughs> yeah. How do you, uh, how do you
1: check? Yeah, I think you have to learn to sit and critically evaluate how your um, actions and words could. Um, affect someone and start to ask people like, Hey, I've heard this. It seems a little weird. So like for the girl push-up, or like I have a problem calling the uh, 15 kilo bar, a girl's bar or a women's bar. I know it's the bar that's used in women's competition. That's fine. But it's also a really good tool to use if you're training someone who like isn't ready for a 20 kilo bar yet. So it's not that hard to just call it a 15 kilo bar. And so just like starting to talk to people who maybe have a different experience than you and being open to criticism that says like, hey, what you said is just a little bit sexist and maybe you should rethink that, that bias or rethink how you said that and don't get upset about it. So be open to that criticism and say, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Can I learn? And where can I go to learn? So maybe it's not my job to teach you how to do that, I'm happy to do it. I'm always happy to tell people how they're being biased or sexist. Um, And I'm willing to have an open conversation with someone if they're willing to like change their mind or accept that where they're coming from is maybe hurtful. And it's more about the impact that you're making on another person instead of your intent. So instead of saying, oh, I didn't mean it that way, say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it would impact you that way. What can I do differently in the future to not do that again? So instead of making it about yourself and saying like, oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. That's no one means to be scathing and mean. No one means to tell women they don't belong in sport. Actually, I think there are people who say that. But (laughs) if you're trying to be a good person and learn, you're not intending to hurt someone or tell them they're not supposed to be there, but you have to recognize that you don't come with the same bias or perspective that somebody else does. And you need to address that and say, oh, I have something to learn here and I'm going to learn from the people who can who can teach me about it. And so you can read. Um, there's a lot of information online. Um, just takes a quick Google search. There's a ton of books on it. Um, And then talk to people, have these conversations, um, make friends with people who come from different backgrounds. Because being female is not the only bias that I come with. So um, coming from a different socioeconomic status, coming from a different race, you're going to experience all these differences and you always have an opportunity to learn about these different people's perspectives. And the more you can learn about it, it's not about being like, politically correct. It's about just being like a nice person and a good human to like support other people.
0: Yeah. And and to me, I think, you know, uh, we had talked about uh, in our first podcast, like the importance of relationship and the importance of trust, right? Like a trusting mm-hmm. and like good relationship between the coach and the client. Like you're probably not going to have a good relationship where they trust you a whole bunch if you're kind of dropping those little like You know, microaggressions and like have these biases that are maybe, maybe are unconscious and you're, you're meaning well and you're actually trying to help this person, but you're saying things that are actually uh, disempowering them. You're, you're taking people away from feeling like they can do, uh, really live, live to their full capacity or their full capability.
1: Yeah. Um, And I'm not, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. I'm not saying that like you shouldn't challenge people and say like, well, are you, so my coach will often say, are you going to go up? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, he'll like challenge me and be like, well, maybe I think you can't do it. And I'm like, fine, I'll just show you, I can do it. And that's like a valid coaching technique is to like, be like, Hey, come on. I, I'm going to make you work for this and like, make you try and get it. Um, it's not. It's not that simple. I'm not saying you can't challenge people. I'm saying like, push them in a constructive way. Yeah. And when it's not going, lay off. Tell them they did a good job. Just develop good relationships.
0: Well, I think it's, it's, it's challenge the person based on their own capabilities and their own previous yeah. uh, accomplishments versus yes. uh, having the baseline just be like, oh, well like, yeah, that's pretty good for, for somebody like you, you know? <laughs> Like, oh yeah, just, just yeah. Have, it be, have it be like, what's your baseline? What did you do last time? Yeah. Let's see if we can make it better. Like, could yeah. you do that? Like, you know, you might be squatting a weight that a million people have squatted. You might be squatting a, I mean, very embarrassing story. My first time ever bench pressing slash ever working out and lifting weights. Uh, I was benching the 15 kilo bar. It was like a 35 pound bar and uh, got pinned. I got stuck. I was like 12 <laughs> years old. I was very embarrassed. Um, Not something to be
1: embarrassed about. We all get pinched sometimes. So just use your safety bars. Was, Please yeah, people was, use your safety
0: bars. It's just a little weird. Cause I was like, this weighs is less than me and I'm stuck. Uh, yeah. And so, then like literally just somebody picked it up with one hand and yeah. put it back.
1: <laughs> but that's like part of stereotype threat. Like as a man, you're like, Oh, I need to be big and strong. And it's like, Well, you have to, you have to work to that. It's not Mm -hmm. just inherent that you're going to be big and strong and it's not inherent that women are fragile and weak. Both are, both are capable.
0: For me, it was more that it was just the smallest bar in the entire, and then I couldn't lift it once. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Give me a chip on my shoulder. (laughs) Um, and so, so then like, I think it's almost kind of a good segue to also talk about, uh, women as far as menstrual cycles go because i think that's something that a lot of people use i mean i've definitely had that conversation but it was more around around like body weight and being like mm-hmm. hey like you know if hormones are changing a little bit like you're gonna hold a little bit more water don't worry about it like it'll be okay it's gonna go back to normal you'll find homeostasis don't don't stress over this but I think also people are like, oh, well, like you're not going to be quite as strong or like, oh, like there's all of these different things. And, uh, and I know that that's something that you have um, basically geeked out on,
1: for yeah, lack of a better um, way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my, my best quote was, I'm passionate about periods. And I am now mocked for that incessantly, but it's fine. I am. I'm passionate about periods and telling women that your period is not the end all be all. Like it doesn't affect your training as much as you'd like to think it does. Um, so just to start, yeah, I'm going to, how this is going to go is I'm going to describe a little bit about the menstrual cycle and like what happens during the menstrual cycle. And then, um, we'll dive into like some training stuff about the menstrual cycle. And so first I want to say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an OBGYN. If you have like personal questions about those things, you need to talk to a medical professional. Um, So this is not medical advice. Just going to start there. Um, But so the menstrual cycle, we can usually break it up into two different phases. So you have the follicular phase and the luteal phase. And so most women recognize their period starts at menses. So that's when you start bleeding. And so that is the beginning of the follicular phase. So the follicular phase is when you're um, growing this follicle um, with the Egg inside of it, and so you're growing this little follicle, and then um, at ovulation, at four, approximately 14 days after you start your menses. So those first like approximately five to seven days, you're bleeding, and then approximately seven to nine days later, you ovulate, and that's when you release the egg. And the release of the egg, or ovulation, is the beginning of the luteal phase, and the luteal phase. Continues all the way up until you start your menses. And so ovulation and menses Are the end blocks for both of those two different phases of the menstrual cycle So in the follicular phase again, this is when your menses is starting Um, The main hormone involved During that time I'm sorry, I have notes on this so I don't mess it up (laughs) is uh, Estrogen. So estrogen is the highest is highest during this phase and it increases over time And then um, right at the end of the follicular phase, you have luteinizing hormone that spikes and follicle stimulating hormone that spikes. And then through the luteal phase, you have an increase in progesterone and a small increase in estrogen. And so there's just this like natural fluctuation of hormones throughout both of these menstrual cycles or both of these phases of the menstrual cycle. So as we move On There's a bunch of research studies that have been done about how the menstrual cycle affects your training. And so what most of these studies have found is that during your follicular phase, so from the time you start bleeding up to ovulation, you're supposed to be stronger. So this is like, you're supposed to be stronger. You're supposed to not fatigue as fast. And so these are studies that have been done in the lab. um, And there's a lot of issues with these studies and they're hard to relate back to powerlifting. So one of the studies used the muscles in the hand. So they used the adductor pollicis, which is the muscle that, uh, if you have your hand like flat on a table, it draws your uh, thumb towards your fingers, which isn't a muscle we use in powerlifting. Uh, some of the studies couldn't be replicated. Some of the studies compared, directly compared circulating estrogen to strength and found nothing. So it's hard to track, a woman's menstrual cycle because not everyone has a perfect 28 day cycle. Not everyone ovulates on day 14 and not everyone has this like five to seven day period. There's a lot of fluctuation. So, and some of the, so a lot of these studies are using only like single joint uh, muscles or single muscles and they're not relating it to the hormones in the body. So we don't know, we're just like relating it in time period as how, like, how close is it to menses, which doesn't seem like the most reliable way to test what's actually going on in the body. And if it's estrogen that is affecting things. So estrogen also doesn't freely float in the body. It's bound to proteins. So just because you have like a high level of estrogen doesn't mean it's all available for use. So, and a lot of the studies don't take that into account because it's really hard to do that. Um, so then there are some studies who also recognize that these issues are happening and that there are these, um, flaws in studies. And it's great that we're like moving through this and we're finally starting to like get to where we're looking at one rep maxes and how that is tested or they're testing that in relation to the menstrual cycle. And there's no difference across a couple of studies that show that there are, Fluctuations in strength that naturally occur based on one rep max, but they're not directly applicable to the menstrual cycle. And so, if we look at other, thing, other training variables, other people have looked at things like weight, body fat percentage, uh, sum of skin folds, hemoglobin, and hematocrit, uh, max heart rate, max minute ventilation, or any of those like cardiovascular outputs and there's a large range of how women uh how women's training changes for all of those things across their menstrual cycle. And so it's really it's more complicated than just saying your period is directly uh relatable to your powerlifting performance and it's also the thing that really gets me and it Links back to what we were talking about earlier is that women are more than just their periods. Like, we are more than just baby making machines. We have jobs, we have families, we have other responsibilities that also impose this stress on us and fatigue us in different ways that show up in our strength training. And those changes are probably more salient and they probably have a bigger effect than just training for. Uh, or just your period, like your period has an effect, but it's probably really small in comparison to all of these other things that happen in your life. And so that's like kind of the big, the big picture, but then people have started to also look at how we like, if we periodize our training to periods, this is my favorite thing. Um, Periodizing training to periods looks like you are planning for that, like decrease in strength right around menses or um, that increase in strength right around menses. So supposedly people are, women are less strong right before their period and more strong right after their period. And there are coaches who will say, oh, I need to plan for this with all of my female athletes. Like women will train for two weeks hard and then, or three weeks really hard. And then one week off based solely on their menstrual cycle, not on anything else that's happening in their life. And there are so many flaws in those studies too, because they're not equated perfectly for fatigue, um, bleeding off from like their training to when they test. And so there's issues with that. There's issues that they're like not measuring the hormone levels again. So there's a lot of interesting data on this. There's like something like 25 studies, but it's not... Like it's not all great information and there's a lot more questions that need to go on before we can like definitely say like, this is an issue for women. Um, So there are women who train based on their menstrual cycle. Uh, I think those women are few and far between and they have waited many, many years to see those patterns fall out because a lot of women are going to be fine during their periods. So there's research that shows that some women actually feel stronger the week before their period and weaker the week during, weaker the week of. And um, so you can't preemptively plan for that. You have to like let it come out in the wash and see how training is affected by this down the line. Like you can only know post training whether or not you're being affected by it. So. Sorry, that was a very long monologue about periods. Yeah. I told you I'm very passionate.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it's really interesting to me because like I kind of am like I have I have two thoughts. Go for it. And let me know what you think. Uh so where do you kind of see because I think like there's actually maybe I have like three thoughts. I feel like you're you kind of touched on like allostatic load, right? Yes. Of Allostatic load as a predictor for recovery and performance. And, and for anybody that doesn't know, it's essentially chronic stress. Those are the lifestyle things. Are you, you know, chronically dieting like allostatic load? That's gonna cause stress in your body that has a huge effect on your health. Um, are you stressed at work? Are you stressed and not sleeping very well? You know, that that like kind of chronic stress um, from outside factors that we may or may not have control over. I would assume is a far more, I mean, like, to me, it's like, why would you focus on periodizing around a period when the person is like stressed and not sleeping very well? Um, like, or not eating very well, like, just fix that, like,
1: yes, the foundation,
0: and then, and then worry about it.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? You have things that are higher yield in how they're going to affect training than in your period. So I would argue that most people, if we're talking about the general population, aren't doing things to just maximize their health first. And then most power lifters probably could be, um, eating better, uh, sleeping more. And those are like two big things that we don't focus on very much that need to be hammered down and like really worked on for most people before we start worrying about their period, like have good sleep hygiene, eat your proper macronutrients and get the, like, get the vegetables eat your vegetables <laughs> yeah um, I think Alyssa Olenek says eat a damn vegetable a lot and it's probably one of my favorite things so
0: yeah and then my other my other thought too is ah, uh, where where does like if you're familiar with like dynamical systems and predictive processing um and then also like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Cause to me, like I just, I don't, in some weird way, like I don't like the idea of being like if, I mean, I have had zero periods. I will (laughs) at the (laughs) highest outside of a hundred percent. If I were to not say a hundred percent, let's say 99.9 repeating percent chance, never have a period in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually like 101%. um, like, I'm not going to experience that, but I have had times, and I remember I actually was talking to somebody about why I, like, refused to use a whoop, right? People are like, oh, use a whoop, know your HRV, and I was like, like, like Kevin, I remember, like, Kevin would be like, dude, I don't care if you slept like crap, I don't care what happened, like, go in and, like, see how you feel, get under the bark, because sometimes those are the days where you're like, I don't know why I just hit a PR, right? And, And, and I think, like, that's where like this mindset of like it's almost like I mean there's so many different cool names we can have for it. It's growth versus fixed. It's predictive processing or dynamical systems. At some point, I think it's just like if you expect to be less strong on this day mm-hmm. or for this week, you will be less strong. You will yeah. you will set that expect or you will meet that expectation. Versus, I'm gonna yeah. go in and just throw the weight on my back and if eh, I get pinned by a 15 kilo bar like I did. That's what happens, you know?
1: Yeah, you're you're setting up this uh expectation of oh shoot what's it called? There's a scientific name for it.
0: It's kind eh, of predictive. It's evading processing, me. Maybe? It's no. predictive
1: processing there's something it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So like you're saying, mm, I'm expecting to not go in as strong and then you weirdly don't. Um, so going into training with zero expectations and letting The weight on the bar dictate how much you go up that day or your rp i use rpe um i feel like rpe is going to be able to cover the you use rpe as well Uh, Mm -hmm. rpe is going to be able to cover the changes that happen during a menstrual cycle and it will automatically adjust for like changes in training instead of like dropping load or dropping volume just use rpe and it will take care of it and it's fine and you can just continue on with your life it doesn't have to be complicated just keep going. Um, so yeah, I think some advice that I have for coaches is like, educate yourself. If you're, if you're not experiencing menstrual cycles, um, learn about them, like learn what happens. Um, there's easy descriptions of how the menstrual cycle works online. Um, get it from obviously a reputable source. Uh, I'm sure that the American Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology has like a great infographic on it. Um and then like don't suggest people should so this is something that also really gets me. Don't suggest that women should change their birth control medication for powerlifting. Um I could go on a whole nother rant about that. Um, but birth control is a conversation that's had between a medical provider and the patient, not between a coach and a powerlifter. Um and yeah, don't no see of them. Don't assume that they're going to, or don't suggest that they're going to be weaker. And if something has been an issue for multiple months and RPE isn't covering it, then maybe that's the time to have a conversation. But I would bet that's very few power lifters who actually experience that. Um, again, it's just like support. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say this, but support <laughs> your female athletes, like have good relationships with them. Um, if they're upset and uncomfortable about something, just like be a friend who's there. Like, um, I train with three men, my coach, my boyfriend, and one of my clients, the three of us usually are at the gym around the same time. And like, if I'm having issues with things, they're like there to support me. And like, granted, one of them's a doctor. So like, I can talk to him about this like weird menstrual stuff. And my boyfriend is very open to talking about that stuff. But even my other client, he's like... Yeah. I mean, I have a wife. I get that these things happen. So just like be understanding and don't be grossed out by it or any of that, like learn about it. It's part of our physiology. It does affect us in some way, probably shouldn't be affecting your strength training. And if you're assuming that it is, we should probably look for other things first before we start blaming the menstrual cycle. So yeah. Did you have another thought that you had on that menstrual cycle? (laughs)
0: Um yeah, I mean I'm thinking too like uh I think it's also one of those things where um as a as a male fitness professional, um to me it's it's also one of those things where it's like it's it's a it's like the human body. That's what we you know are hopefully pretty like interested in. Like we're we need to understand this stuff to do a good job and actually coach people. And uh and I think also like you can find out a lot about somebody's health and sometimes stress levels when you find out about that like if somebody's like oh i'm i'm late or like i haven't gotten it in three months and i'm not pregnant you can say okay well like maybe they're too lean like there's or like they're super stressed like sometimes like you're just your stress levels are super high and so it's coming late like that i mean i know plenty of times like where that's happened to, to female clients and and it's like, maybe they just got this promotion and they're like super stressed. Yeah. And it can tell you really important information that you can coach on those allostatic load lifestyle things. Um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe you're like, hey, like you've gotten very lean. You've lost a ton of body fat recently. Maybe we're going too far. You need to have some carbs, reduce cardio, actually focus on health, you know?
1: Yeah. So what you're referring to is called red Reds or red S, it's the uh, relative energy deficien- deficiency in sport. Um, and it happens to both men and women, they just present differently. Uh, but in women, it's really obvious that, like, once you get below, um, and it's specific to each person, like below a certain body fat percentage, or like you're not feeding yourself enough food to perform, you're going to see decreases in performance. And um, the absence of a period is the is a time to go speak to a medical professional, or if you're having really painful periods, you need to go talk to a medical professional and coaches need to know that if this is happening to an athlete of theirs, they need to refer to an OBGYN or an MD or a DO and say, Hey, this is a medical issue and we need to address this because your health is more important than your performance in the sport. Um, And I would argue that for 99.999% of athletes that your health is more important than your performance in the sport. When you're starting to talk about your sport is your livelihood, that's when I think football players would argue that their health is important, but it is also their livelihood that is important. And they have to, at some level, they're they're choosing to make sacrifices and we should be protecting them better, but they're also choosing to make sacrifices to perform their sport for their livelihood. But for the general power lifter, the general athlete, you need to be eating enough. You shouldn't have an absence of a period and coaches need to know that that is a point at which you need to refer. So. Absolutely. And, and one thing that I have
0: kind of learned from, uh, from talking to some people, you know, I know, um, I want to say it's like Chanel, Chanel Colette, maybe you talked about this where she was like, look, you know, I know like she's a physique athlete. She's like, I know that when I step on stage period is probably not going to come, but my goal is to get it back as soon as possible. Right. It was either, yes. it was maybe her or Jason Theobald, like when they were talking about like the hormonal, you know, parts of being a physique athlete and saying like, you know, look, I know that there's going to be certain things that happen that are a mm-hmm. trade-off for my sport or my, my passion, whatever. But my goal is to return to f- my optimum health as fast as possible so that I don't have the lasting effects. Um, because yes. it becomes normalized in a lot of these spaces where it's just normal. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm a female physique competitor. I just don't get a period. And you're like, ooh. Um, that means there's a lot of stuff that's not happening that should be. You know, like it's, it's a marker yeah. of health, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to also talk about the fact that like you should be having regular periods. If you're missing them for certain things, like being a physique athlete, I think that's a lot different than like a track athlete or a powerlifter, where um, you should be having your period pretty regularly, unless you're on birth control, that makes that so it's not happening. Like there are, if you're not getting your period from hormonal birth control or an IUD. Um, that's different than not having your period because of not um, eating enough or having too high of chronic stress. So I think that's another important delineation to make. Like most people, even if you're in sport, especially if you're doing it recreationally, you don't need to be, you need to be having your period every month or like you need to be having your regular cycle, whatever that is for you.
0: so So question as a guy yes yes uh when i'm like talking to to a female client let's say uh definitely like a something where i don't like i can bring it up contextually of saying Mm -hmm. hey like i know you said that your weight has gone up um you know are you getting your period whatever (laughs) and i've done that before and and it worked fine and it was not an awkward conversation because the context Mm -hmm. was there. Um, But to kind of get a feel for general allostatic load, like, uh, or, you know, whatever these kind of factors might be. um, What, what would you say? Like for me, what's a good way to start that conversation? Because uh, it's just not, once again, it's something where I've never had anybody ask me um, about my cycle.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. So I think as a, as a female coach, it is easier for me to broach that topic and be like, hey, so um, this thing that we all women talk about, um, are, you, are you getting your period? Um, is that still normal? Um, but I've had to develop relationships with the women I train with or whom I train before we get to that point. Like it's not the thing that I say like right off the bat. It's not my. It's not on my intake form. It's on none of those things. It's like part of – the, like if I ask if like they've had any medical changes in the last block that I should be aware of. Um, and granted, I don't, most of my athletes, I just have them stay in their same, um, weight class for, uh, powerlifting because I don't do nutrition coaching, so I don't help them cut weight. That's not within my wheelhouse. Um, But I feel like if you're developing a relationship with your athlete and you're having these continual conversations, asking them within context is like a really good way to do it. I don't think you've done anything erroneous. I think you have to, one, have that relationship and two, the context is really, really important and explaining like, hey, I'm concerned because I've seen like this massive drop in weight or I've seen that you've increased back to your normal weight. I just want to make sure that we don't need to refer to a, a medical professional for any of these issues. And a medical professional in this case could also be a registered dietitian. So not a nutritionist, yeah. a registered dietitian.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like, uh, yeah, and obviously relationship is important there. And also just making sure that um, it's it's done within context has always made it very easy to have that conversation exactly. with people for me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Don't and walk I th-
1: up to people and just ask them <laughs> if they have a period. It's very rude. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Haven't yeah. tried that one, but I'm, I, yeah, that was I on my list. For, I was going to do that after <laughs> the podcast. I was like, I'm going to oh, be okay. all excited. I'm going to ask everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, I think the other, the other thing that um, I would assume is really, is really helpful too, is uh, sometimes like contextually, just starting off by being like hey like how's your stress level oh i'm super stressed well, like hey like this is gonna sound really really random and i promise you mm-hmm. like i'll explain why in a second but like how when was your last period like you know what i mean mm-hmm. how is your cycle like yeah i would assume that that's even just prefacing it by being like this is gonna sound very random i promise you there's a purpose and i'll explain after you answer yeah and it's it's <laughs> probably not probably weird this is like
1: it. so i consider um good fitness coaches are part of the medical system because they're part of that like frontline defense for like, Hey, this seems like kind of out of the realm of normal, let's refer you to a medical provider. And so like, that's part of the questionnaire that says, Hey, I'm just making sure that everything seems okay, but I'm not qualified to give you advice, but I am able to tell you like, maybe we should go see someone who is qualified to give us advice on this. Um, So I don't think it's out of the realm of, any kind of possibility or helpfulness so yeah
0: i like that i agree and
1: i do want to bring up that men also suffer from reds that's why i changed from the female athlete triad to reds that there are symptoms of men having energy deficiency as well they're different i'm not as well versed in them but male coaches and female coaches should be able to talk about that with their male athletes as well
0: what do you know off the top of your head what they are for men
1: i don't off the top of my head and i don't want to miss (laughs) uh misinform people again a quick well hold on let me do a quick google search
0: all right cool well i was gonna say i mean i'm i'm a 28 year old male and haven't gotten my period at all so uh i want to make sure i'm not i'm not hitting the the reds (laughs) i would assume Uh, i would assume it's probably uh it probably has to do with like uh sleep, sleep quality like erectile dysfunction even i don't know like I would imagine there's there's
1: a ton of different ways. uh, Mail. Cool. I just got a new computer and it's not working today. Okay. Nice. Uh, (laughs) No, it's actually my problem. So, I think low energy availability. So, like feeling really tired, is Mm -hmm. one of them. I think erectile dysfunction is one of them. Don't quote me on any of this, but
0: yeah, um, I can link it in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, I'll,
1: I'll look it up and we can, we can link it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that we're I think, actually correct. <laughs> I mean, it's only science. Why do we need to be correct? I mean, Share your opinion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no opinions. And science is not always perfect either. So it's an evolving thing.
0: <laughs> this so. is true. Um yeah. So I have to end. I knew. I know. It's like I was. It's hard because I always throw a little curveball question at the end. And I'm like, oh, biggest great! Surprise? I like these. Yeah. Yeah, but the only problem is, I already gave you the curveball question. I already gave you the oh, you, biggest surprise. It's... What's the biggest lesson, right? And so I can't give you the same question twice. That's okay. It.
1: New curveball question.
0: New curveball. Ready. This is maybe going to be a little bit easier. I don't know. I've never asked this question. Okay. Perfect world. Right. Well, actually, okay. take it back. Take, no, undo that. Men in black. Okay. Men, boom. I did not just ask that. Okay. If you were to time travel thirty years from now, and you look at the fitness industry and you look at what's changed, what do you want your impact to
1: be? Nope. this question's harder. Ugh. Yes. Um. I guess I re- in 30 years from now, so I'll be 55, I want women to feel like they can take on whatever challenge they see fit and they feel like they have the resources and uh, support systems to be able to do that regardless of any other contextual factors. Um, I want people to be like, more involved in science and listen to the science and i want like 50 50 participation and equal pay for women in sports
0: i think that last one's extremely important
1: um yeah pay women i agree pay them to (laughs) to like give you information and don't think that just because they're a woman they're not a good coach
0: yeah yeah big fact there uh as yeah. somebody straight up like as somebody who has interviewed i think i would say probably 60 to 70% women uh i think it's it's very interesting to me i mean this is like i'll say it on the podcast i don't give a care uh i think to me <laughs> to me it's like one of those things where uh i i almost in i don't want to be mean Uh, But I almost value the opinion and uh, expertise of especially female fitness professionals because of the fact that the majority are, uh, are not trying to fight the stigma and fight against um the expectations that are incorrect and so it requires a level of being extremely masterful in what you do but also uh extremely dedicated to you know being a part of that change and and essentially like fighting to correct what what should have been there yeah. all along yeah. um but also very very like articulate and very knowledgeable right like there's a certain level of like you know what, like if I'm going to uh, like fight back, like, I want to make sure that like I'm, for lack of a better word, say it, like withable, right? Like I'm going to say stuff and like you cannot I come know back exactly me. what that,
1: I know like, that podcast. Because
0: <laughs> like, well, I mean, like, I mean, like I talked to this yeah. with like Alyssa where she was like, you know, I think, I don't know if we said on the podcast, but she was talking about like as a female fitness professional, like you have to understand branding way better, right? You have to understand copywriting and marketing and like uh having a voice and being proud of who you are way better than a male fitness professional right like because you can't just hide behind science and data and take a six pack picture right um because oftentimes female fitness professionals are like you know look at these really bad squats with a booty band around my knees and the picture from the back and you're like but like that doesn't that doesn't break stigma that encourages it in a lot of ways and no offense yeah You built a good business doing that good for you not gonna have you on the podcast anytime soon right like there's this, this certain yeah. element of like I don't know I, I love I love the fact that um yeah it's like this this ability to be like I'm gonna use science and data and mastering what I do uh to overcome these these yeah Yeah, this this bullshit. Basically, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think as a female fitness professional, you have to be on point with everything. And I think I've, my girlfriends and I in the fitness profession have complained about the fact to each other that like we have to be a hundred percent on everything, and have to work a lot, lot harder to get recognized in this field than a guy who can deadlift nine hundred pounds. So like we don't get to rely on both the male bias and the male strength so Mm it's just you have to be really good at what you do in order to to fight the patriarchy yeah yeah uh
0: yeah i i mean i agree a thousand percent and i think it's it's true for anybody that's evidence-based um but even more so for women that are evidence-based you know what i mean like It's 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 why like I I like talking to female fitness professionals honestly like I'm saying it on the podcast I, like I said I don't give a care no offense I love interviewing guys I think I learn a lot they're amazing guests but at the exact same time like when I, t- I it's consistent when I talk to female fitness professionals like you know your shit <laughs> it's yeah, great I
1: think we just <laughs> we have to bring a different perspective. we do bring a different perspective and we have to bring it um, very succinctly and we have to plan it out a lot differently. So there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Like, I appreciate that I'm held to this standard. Um, I just think all people should be held to this standard.
0: Yeah. So, but, and that's why I think so many people can learn from you is because oh, like the standard you. that you like hold yourself to is, is so much higher than the standard in which people are like, yeah, it doesn't. You know, whatever. Like, I can deal with mm-hmm. nine hundred pounds. Like, they're just gonna listen to me, and you know, whatever. I, I, yeah, I think it's when, it's it's yeah. great. Like, it's great to have people like you, where you're like, I'm gonna know my Thanks. shit and be stronger than you.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and be stronger than you. So
0: <laughs> yeah, but, you you yeah. definitely well, are right now. You definitely are right now. But I'm coming for you, there, <laughs> pal.
1: All right, all right. Well, let's see what I hit on singles this week, and I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. I'll just text you pictures. This is what I hit. This is your goal when you get back to the gym. Also, if, don't max out your first back day. To the gym. Yeah. Well, yeah. when when are you guys supposed to be open again in Texas?
0: Oh, I mean, we've been open for a while, but I just okay. don't want to get coronavirus. Um, okay. So, if anybody hasn't already followed you, in which they should, uh, how do they get in touch?
1: So, the best way to follow me is probably on Instagram. It's Claire underscore Bullseye Strength, um, and then if that's if you don't use Instagram, I have a email and it's just bullseye strength at gmail.com and I have a Twitter. I don't really use it, but I creep on other people on Twitter with it. Gangster. So, I love Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is the sassiest. <laughs> it's so funny.
0: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so I much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having it. me. I Brushed had it. so much fun t- talking to you and
0: it thank you. It was great.